allegations of racial profiling. It was like a big alarm, as if we're getting arrested. It was like this big whoop sound. How these sisters describe their treatment by Surrey RCMP. Newly released video of an RCMP shooting. They were walking down the street, yelling, kill me, kill me, kill me. And the 911 call from a witness who saw what led up to the fatal confrontation. And confusion over COVID clinics for seniors. Now suddenly there may be an expectation that they have to travel for their vaccination. So of course we're concerned. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A Surrey family is asking some tough questions of the RCMP after they say they were treated very differently than their neighbours during a police response. As Imad Agahi reports, what began as a minor call escalated very quickly as more officers arrived on scene. I just think that the way it was handled was very disappointing. There was no apology and that's that was the disheartening part. On Monday night, an RCMP officer arrived at Blanche Monebeka's door saying someone had reported seeing what appeared to be a weapon, probably a BB gun, being used at or near her Surrey home. But while Monebeka says the first officer was calm and casual, the situation escalated when more officers arrived. Using a loudspeaker, police demanded she and her sisters, the youngest, who are just 15 and 10 years old, to walk out with their hands up. Are your sisters traumatized by this? Yes, definitely. Um, it's one of those things that they said, like, we're not going to forget this. For 40 minutes, they waited while officers searched their home and found nothing. Meanwhile, she says the neighbors who were white were treated very differently allowed to stay inside while police also searched their homes. They were white and we're black, and so that's, that's the only conclusion I can come to. Now, I have been speaking to legal experts who tell me there are some times where police officers can enter someone's house without a warrant, especially if they think it's an urgent circumstance where someone inside may be in danger. And what's more likely in this case is if they have reasonable grounds to think that there may be a weapon inside. I can tell you that definitely when it comes to firearms, we're going to be going lights and sirens. Police are going to be speaking in authoritative tones. The situation was over when a plastic gun was finally found on Motobaka's tenants. The story is familiar and troubling to those who point to discrimination. RCMP and the police are there to protect and serve us. But clearly, they're not, they're not serving and protecting everyone equally. And what we're asking, we're not asking for favors. We're asking to be treated the same way everybody else is treated. Unfortunately, it was the white officers that were rude to us. And so that's the part that's kind of hurtful. And it's, it's sad to see. Monobeka says an apology was not offered until after the girls shared their story online. And now the RCMP says it will be reviewing how officers handled the call. Imad Agahi, Global News. One person is dead and two others injured after a horrific head-on crash in North Vancouver. It happened on Low Level Road around 11 p.m. Tuesday. A car driving west crossed the center line, slamming into an oncoming vehicle. The lone driver of the westbound car was taken to hospital with serious non-life-threatening injuries. The woman driving the other vehicle was killed and her passenger is in critical condition. RCMP are investigating whether speed and alcohol were factors in the crash and are now analyzing the wreckage to determine what happened. 
the Integrated uh, Collision Analysis and Reconstruction Service. They perform a number of very specialized uh, investigative uh, techniques. So they are able to analyze damage to vehicles, things like skid marks. They, you know, use mathematics and trigonometry and uh, different formulas, including, you know, analysis of uh, any vehicle computers that might be available to try to gather as much evidence about what led up to the crash. Family members have set up a GoFundMe identifying the deceased as Marcelina Perdido Aguilai. According to the site, she had just picked up her husband from work when they were struck. Turning now to COVID-19 in BC, here's a look at the latest numbers. We have 542 new cases, bringing the provincial total to 81,909. Seven more people have died, which means we've now lost 1,372 to complications of the virus. 246 people are in hospital, 64 patients in the ICU. 75,819 people are considered recovered, and that leaves us with 4,654 active cases and 8,617 in self-isolation. Well, when BC's mass vaccination effort gets going, more than 170 arenas and rec centers across the province will be turned into large-scale clinics, providing some 30,000 doses every single day. But it's the location of those clinics that's raising some concern. Richard Zussman shows us why some seniors might have to travel to take the shot. It's a COVID-19 transformation by next month, Surrey's Clayton Rec Centre, Cloverdale Rec Centre and South Surrey Centre will be mass COVID vaccination clinics. But in bordering North Delta, nothing. If there's not something in North Delta, it is a distinct community from Surrey. Uh, we're really concerned uh, that it's going to create access issues for people. It's just one of the logistical concerns being raised from across the province as BC enters the largest vaccination program in history. In Delta, the worry is seniors are being required to travel to get the shot. Closest clinic is going to be east of King George Boulevard in Surrey. Uh, there's a real question there in terms of, of, of safe and equitable access. In Hope, British Columbia, the community was originally told there wouldn't be a local clinic. Now Fraser Health says they'll use the hospital to immunize those 80 years of age and older. As for those younger, still no news. What we haven't heard yet is for mass immunization for our community when and where is that going to be? And that's the main concern, the, the general population, if you will. BC Liberal leader Shirley Bond has been raising the issue in the legislature this week. She says it's still unclear what communities may have a local clinic. Many seniors in our province haven't been out of their apartments, they haven't been into community, and now suddenly there may be an expectation that they have to travel for their vaccination. The B.C. government is committing to 172 mass immunization clinics across B.C. for April. This month, there will be fewer mass clinics, but the province is also delivering the vaccine directly to those in independent living and those receiving home care. Health Minister Adrian Dick says the expectation is the shot will be as accessible as the flu immunization. The goal is to ensure that we serve people properly. This is a massive immunization campaign. There will be a massive number of clinics, but we're also uh, going to where people need us. As for the specific clinic locations, they are expected next week. Hope for communities like Hope and Beyond, the vaccine will be available close by. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now live with more on the vaccine. Keith, Dr. Henry has been criticized for stretching that gap between the first mm -hmm. and second vaccinations, but uh, 
Many experts are now backing her up on it. Yeah, notably, the National Advisory Committee on Immunizations, made up of 16 epidemiologists, infectious disease experts, weighing in today uh, with a strong recommendation, in their words, the word strong, that uh, you can wait up to four months before giving that second dose, a real major uh, boost to Dr. Henry's policy first announced yesterday. The reason for this, the first dose is now considered to be even more effective than what we saw with the Pfizer uh, clinical trials. Again, we caught up with Health Minister Adrian Dix, who says this entire thing is based on science and nothing else. It obviously supports the action taken uh, by British Columbia by Dr. Bonnie Henry. Uh, that action was based on the science. You'll recall that last Thursday we published our science on the question and Dr. Danuta Skaronsky of the BCCDC did that and we took a position based on the science. We've been working with the federal government, jurisdictions across the country and obviously the, this decision by the National Advisory Committee on Immunization supports our approach in BC and uh, we expected that and we're very positive about it. So up until yesterday, our, our vaccinations every day were mostly second doses. About 80% in the last week were second doses. But now everything's basically first doses. So this is going to be the case for quite some time, which means a lot more people are going to get vaccinated much quicker than originally planned. And one more note tomorrow, there's an uh, in-person briefing from Dr. Bonnie Henry, Health Minister Adrian Dix. But it's one hour earlier, 2 p.m. instead of 3. We'll be carrying that live on BC1 as usual. I got a markdown. All right. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, we're getting a closer look at how a single COVID-19 case ended up having a direct impact on nearly 300 people. It began with a trivia night at a Port Moody pub. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, the case serves as a warning about just how quickly this disease can spread. Isolation for three-year-old Jane Innes uh -oh. is boring. She's been at home from daycare since the beginning of February as a result of a COVID-19 outbreak. So our daughter getting half of our attention while having to watch way more TV than we're comfortable with and just her getting bored and frustrated has probably been the toughest. The outbreak at the SFU daycare, only a secondary mass exposure event. The original outbreak happened at a pub in Port Moody. While it hasn't been named by health authorities, a statement on the St. James Well Facebook page points to the beginnings of what turned into a super spreader event. According to Fraser Health, one person at a trivia night infected 28 other people, 24 customers and four staff members. Two staff members at the SFU daycare went to work following the trivia night and infected 27 more people, both staff and children including Jane, who so far hasn't shown any symptoms. We don't seem to have caught it. My brother and sister-in-law who live downstairs don't seem to have caught it. So all things considered, I think we've been very fortunate. 15 more people who had close contacts with the daycare have now also tested positive. But the virus has spread along other chains of transmission too. 10 people tested positive after close contact with customers at the pub, including one staff member at a school, forcing an entire classroom into self-isolation. There were an additional eight workplace exposures. In total, 296 people were affected. So contact tracing is a key part of our response to COVID-19, and this shows how it works. People have defended the pub, saying the event was well-managed, with rules in place. That's not an excuse Dylan Innes accepts. Like if you're having an event, you're attracting people who aren't being responsible just by virtue of the fact that they're willing to go to an event. Stress caused by careless people at an event they never attended. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. 
Dr. Bonnie Henry's policies continue to come under fire in B.C. Supreme Court as three Fraser Valley churches challenge her ban on in-person services. As Ted Chernecki reports, even the judge seemed to question Henry's grasp of the Charter of Rights. Like the mosaic of protesters outside B.C. Supreme Court, the debate isn't going away. If anything, the arguments may be extended to Friday. B.C.'s chief health officer has already come under fire for not providing an affidavit to the courts explaining her decision-making process. Even though she's named as a respondent, and even though the orders themselves are issued by her, she's given no direct evidence in this matter. And today, Supreme Court Chief Justice Hinkson seemed to take aim at Henry's apparent failing to take the Charter of Rights into consideration when issuing orders. It isn't apparent to me that she appreciates there is a Charter of Right to Religious Freedom. She talks about the needs of a person to attend. What she was obliged to do, surely, was to raise the rights of persons, not their needs. Gareth Morley is the Crown Attorney in this case, and he adds, Ultimately, in the most recent order, she specifically calls it rights and talks about it. Hinkson responds, she says that now. Am I to infer that she's always understood it but left it out? Or do I infer that she must have had an awakening along the way somewhere? We were unable to get comment from the Crown's lawyer today, but counsel for the three churches explained why this issue landed in B.C. Supreme Court. Courts have to uh, enforce the Constitution at times when governments overlook their obligations to accommodate uh, what we say are the fundamental freedoms of Canadians. In this case, freedom of religion, peaceful assembly. Uh, all of these things are very much affected by the orders that have been issued, which we say are overbroad, arbitrary and discriminatory. Before November's sudden and dramatic spike in COVID-19 cases that triggered the outright ban on religious gatherings, the Crown argued that Henry had bent over backwards to accommodate all religious groups. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Former U.S. President Donald Trump's words reduced Meng Wanzhou from a human being to chattel. That from Meng's defense team in B.C. Supreme Court today in the latest round of the Huawei executive's extradition case. The defense argues Trump used Meng as a bargaining chip with China in an economic contest of two superpowers, saying it was an abusive process which should result in the case being thrown out. Meng is accused of bank fraud in the U.S., allegations she and the company deny. Defense said the U.S. is essentially making a mockery of Canada's extradition power. In my view, the, the judge was not overly impressed with defense's argument that President Trump's words can shut down a Canadian extradition case without more evidence that what the president said is what the president did. Crown counsel said neither facts nor law support the abuse of process claim. Crown arguing the defense case is slim because there is no evidence Trump used Mung as a bargaining chip. A fatal confrontation caught on camera. The video and audio of a chilling 911 call just came to light at the inquest into the death of Hudson Brooks, who was shot by RCMP. A portion of those recordings next on the News Hour. Startling testimony at the Cullen Commission into money laundering at BC casinos from a woman who had a better view of the action than most. That's coming up on the News Hour. And baby drama why the birth of this little guy ended up in an operating room with a whole team of doctors trying to save mom, too. That's coming up later. 
Right now, though, the province has unveiled new proposed gun control legislation. The proposed Firearm Violence Prevention Act is built on recommendations from a 2017 task force reporting on reducing gang and gun violence. It would give police more tools to disrupt gangs and gather evidence for prosecutors. It creates a new offense for drivers who transport illegal guns, and it also contains measures to keep gang members out of firing ranges. Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth says the legislation makes it difficult for gangsters to buy or transport real or imitation firearms. For example, if a vehicle is is fleeing fleeing police, uh, they now have the ability, if they find unauthorized or illegal firearms, to be able to impound that weapon, along with other consequences that may well flow from from the event that was that was taking place. That's a significant uh, that's a significant change. Dramatic testimony at the coroner's inquest into the 2015 police-involved shooting of Hudson Brooks. As Grace Key reports, surveillance video and a 911 call provide some new insight into the moments leading up to that fatal altercation. Surveillance video released at a coroner's inquest shows the fatal encounter between Constable Elizabeth Kucherin and 20-year-old Hudson Brooks at the RCMP South Surrey Detachment six years ago. An officer just called for help, saying Brooks was coming at him. You see Kucherin run around the corner with the recruit. 11 seconds later, she's back on camera. Kucherin testified Brooks was closing the distance between them. As she backed away with her gun drawn, he yelled, kill kill you, kill you, kill me. Eventually, they both fall to the ground. During the entire encounter, Kucherin fired a dozen times. Brooks was hit nine times, and Kucherin shot herself in the leg while on the ground with him. Jurors heard a 911 tape from a woman who saw Brooks earlier walking down the middle of the street near the detachment wearing only boxer shorts. There's a young boy walking down, yelling down the street, he wants to die. I just hear him yelling. I don't hear him yelling now, but he's, he's walking down the street yelling, I want to kill me, kill me, kill me. He had no, uh, no he had a pair of short pants and no, uh, he's yelling, he's just yelling, kill me, kill me, kill me? Yeah, he says, sorry, mom, sorry. He's too intoxicated on drugs? Oh, he could be on drugs. I don't know. I just I was in bed sleeping and I heard this yelling outside. Alcohol and drugs were found in Brooks's system. Earlier, he had been vandalizing vehicles. What do we want? Justice. Justice for who? Brooks was unarmed and his family has spoken out about the use of force. Kucherin was charged with aggravated assault and assault with a weapon, but those charges were stayed. Crown saying the use of her weapon was reasonable. The inquest continues on Thursday. Grace Key, Global News. Up ahead, a year-long battle to get a vacation refund. I've cursed and cried a lot in the last 10 months. How her incredible persistence paid off in a battle with the airline and her bank. Also ahead, Surrey City Council votes for a raise behind closed doors. Why some councillors are giving it back. Lots of police are on scene to another protest here in Vancouver that has the intersection of Hastings and Clark Drive completely shut down. If you're just leaving now, head to Powell or even Venables as an alternate route. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $15 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the intersection of Hastings and Clark Drive in Vancouver. 
Thousands of Canadians have fought for refunds from airlines over canceled vacations. Many are still fighting, and they've been offered vouchers instead. Tonight, the story of a Cranbrook woman who refused to give up the fight to get her money back. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more. Anne? Thanks, Sophie. Well, this was no easy feat, but when Summer Barger educated herself with B.C.'s consumer protection laws, coupled with her persistency, it paid off. I've cursed and cried a lot in the last 10 months. March 9, 2020, the Cranbrook resident booked a Sunwing flight from Calgary to the Dominican Republic. But COVID-19 hit and Sunwing canceled her flight. Initially, Summer says the airline offered her the option of a refund, but shortly changed its policy, offering only a voucher. I didn't pay $2,100 for a voucher. And so her battle began. Summer says she reached out to Sunwing repeatedly, requesting a refund, but got nowhere. She had purchased her vacation with her CIBC Visa card, so Summer pursued an internal chargeback with her credit card. That went on from March until July, and it failed. Still, Summer refused to give up. Back in October, she started what's called a statutory chargeback with her credit card issuer, CIBC, to recover her money. At first, she says CIBC declined giving her a statutory chargeback. <laughs> So you're just going to go against provincial law then? It's the uh, federal law supersedes the provincial law. No, it doesn't. The uh, federal law supersedes the provincial law. We asked lawyer Kyla Lee, who's based in Vancouver and not associated with this case, if such a statement exists. There's no such thing as proper law. That's not a term that we use in Canada. Summer also filed a dispute with BC's Civil Resolution Tribunal that deals with small claims disputes under $5,000. She says during that process, Sunwing offered her a full settlement, but she rejected the airline's offer. They emailed me offering a full settlement, but it came with a complete confidentiality clause. That confidentiality clause would have prevented Summer from sharing her story with the public. So in January, Summer said she made another attempt to CIBC. And within a week, uh, the director of client care called me and said, we're going to cut to the chase. I, we're going to reimburse you. Consumer Matters reached out to CIBC about Summer's case and received the following statement. When an individual buys a product or service and wishes to request a refund, they should first seek a refund from the company where the purchase was made. We review reimbursement requests on a case-by-case -case basis, take into account individual circumstances. In the case of travel, as part of our review, we consider whether a client has been offered a voucher. The nonprofit advocacy group Air Passenger Rights guided Summer in her fight for a refund and says her story speaks to the state of Canada's consumer protection laws. It shows how broken consumer protection has become in Canada, especially at the federal level. While Summer says she's relieved her battle is over, she hopes by sharing her story, it can help other consumers. You have to be persistent. You have to stay on their radar. Now, we asked CIBC on what grounds did they refund Summer. Was it based on BC's consumer protection laws? CIBC did not answer our questions. For more information on the statutory chargeback process, you can go to the Air Passenger Rights website at airpassengerrights.ca. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. Startling testimony and new surveillance video from the Cullen Commission into money laundering. A former casino dealer and VIP gambler describing hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash and chips casually passed back and forth in clear view of anyone watching. John Waugh reports. 
hundreds of thousands of dollars in casino chips wrapped in cellophane. A stack worth a hundred grand passed off to another player in plain view of staff. High rollers taking chips to a hotel room after no play at all. Just some of the new casino surveillance video obtained by Global News. I would call myself being crazy with gambling. The amount to lose or win from several thousands to several tens of thousands. Keely telling the Cullen Commission through an interpreter what she saw not only as an Edgewater casino dealer but a VIP player as well. I noticed that everyone was doing that, passing chips. Well, if everyone was doing that and no supervision, therefore, I started to do that as well. Lee, who also went by the name Coco, revealing that despite being known as a dealer and declaring herself as a housewife, River Rock Management granted her access to exclusive VIP salons. But my VIP card, I requested it and they provided it to me. It was in those high roller rooms Lee told the commission she would befriend big time players who would often give her tips, let her play with their chips, or lend her cash. They would tell me, the money that I loaned to you, forget about it. That was a gift for you. In exchange, Lee said she would run errands for these generous VIPs, including driving them to and from the airport and picking up packages on their behalf. He would go to washroom, make phone calls, and then soon after, he would say, Coco, I'll go down and help me to pick up something. The pickup often just outside the front lobby of the River Rock Casino. That person through the window handed me the the the, the bag and uh, left. Lee told the commission on only a few occasions was she aware it was cash in the bag, but also stated she often didn't ask. If you accompany this these big bosses, uh. Uh, if you talk too much, they wouldn't like it. Her experience as both a dealer and player did make Lee aware of suspected loan sharks at casinos. I know that a lot of VIPs, when they gamble, they would uh, get money from the loan sharpers. In 2015, Lee was asked to meet with the gaming regulator after investigators linked her to $1.4 million in cash transactions at the River Rock in just one week. I wanted to force myself to quit gambling. Hours after that call, Lee offered her resignation as a casino dealer. John Hua, Global News. Well, while we all might be thinking about escaping somewhere warmer right now, which we can't, we are actually seeing some sudden temperature changes here at home, and that is complicating avalanche conditions. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with more on how that is impacting the potential risk. Christy. So March, Sophie, is historically the deadliest month of the year for avalanche fatalities because not only are the days getting longer, so people are able to get further into the backcountry, but there's something called blue sky syndrome where people get lulled into a little sense of complacency about the avalanche conditions. As we head into spring and spring weather, there can be a a misconception that spring weather means a a spring snowpack, a stable spring snowpack. This is definitely not the case right now. We've still got a cold winter snowpack. And as we head into warm weather, it might feel like we're into spring, but the snowpack isn't there yet. It's going to take time for that those warming and cooling cycles to consolidate the snowpack. And this is a really tricky time. Those, those are the cycles, those initial cycles that really test those deeper weak layers and uh, have the capacity to produce 
large natural avalanche cycles. Now, to make matters worse, our first big warming, which is happening right now, is causing even more of a concern because the temperatures are staying above freezing even overnight. So those warming and cooling cycles that typically help stabilize a snowpack are not happening right now. We've had a number of um, persistent weak layers that have developed over the course of the season. And these persistent weak layers are kind of in play in in several regions where it's possible to to human trigger them. As we head into a period of warming, these uh, these weak layers receive uh, an even bigger test from those warm temperatures. And that dramatic change to the snowpack really can can, uh, undermine the strength of the the upper snowpack and and can produce natural avalanche cycles. So that's a really big concern as we head into this, uh, this period of warming. So we've already had seven deaths so far. Ten is the yearly average. Avalanche Canada is really trying to keep that below the average. So they're urging everyone to check the Avalanche Canada website regularly, where important updates will for the various regions will be posted over the next few days. And in fact, a new spe- special avalanche warning has just been issued for several regions, including the Rockies, the Caribous, and the Kootenai National Park area. So please be careful out there. All right. Good advice. Thanks, Christy. Check in a little later. Also coming up, controversial raises for Surrey City Council. This is not the time when we should be looking at raises for anybody. Why some councillors are rejecting the money. And new fare options on BC Ferries, making the system more efficient and in some ways cheaper. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Massey Tunnel, but do keep in mind that while south of the tunnel on Highway 99 South, there is some overnight maintenance at Ladner Trunk, and you're going to find some lane closures in both directions. For 47 years, Kermat Collision and Autoglass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermac.com. Interest you in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. BC Ferries is now offering some new, cheaper, and prepaid fare options. Customers currently traveling for essential purposes will be able to take advantage of the two new fares on three routes. The Saver fare will be available on less busy sailings year-round. Prices range from $49 to $73.70 and will include free reservations. Also announced today, a new prepaid fare option giving customers the ability to book and pay for their travel in advance. BC Ferry says the new fare options will continue once travel restrictions are lifted in a bid to reduce ferry wait times. We'll be looking at the loads on the ferry, how busy it is, because we want to have the, you know, the most safer fares we can get out there to provide the most affordable travel. But at the same time, we want to provide an incentive for people to move away from those busy sailings. Coming back and forth is going to be a big plus. It could be convenient. I'd be more motivated to pre-book my trip for that. Sure, anything that saves money is great. The new fare options are currently only available on three major routes to Wasson to Swartz Bay, to Wasson to Duke Point, and Horseshoe Bay to Departure Bay. Depending on the uptake and feedback from customers, the fares could be rolled out to the other routes as well. More controversy in Surrey tonight after it was revealed the mayor and city council voted to give themselves a raise. As Jordan Armstrong reports, it's not the amount of the raise that's raising eyebrows, but how it was done. Surrey has a secret. Council members elected to serve the public voted in private 
to give themselves a raise. Gee, that's that, that's nice that they can do that for themselves. Steps from City Hall are the hard streets of Wally. This guy, known locally as Caveman, says the politicians are out of touch. Maybe they could uh, get us all a, a pay raise on uh, welfare. 2.3% raises for mayor and council were approved behind closed doors in January. How each council member voted remains a mystery. The decision only came to light this week when a redacted report was posted to the city's website and spotted by the Surrey Now leader. This isn't the time to be doing giving ourselves raises. We should be helping people in the community. Mayor Doug McCallum would not be made available for an interview, but Councillor Lori Guerra, who's on the mayor's slate, told Global News, quote, we don't call them secret, we call them closed sessions, and that is by legislation that these things have to be discussed. I'm not sure what the concern is. For me, it's always been a concern to not have that open uh, and transparent view into how your government operates. And certainly, these are your tax dollars. Hundile and Annis say they won't accept their pay hikes and will donate the money to charity. Back in Wally. Stay out of my car for three weeks, it's killing me. In the weeks since life got better for the politicians, it got worse for the senior. He became homeless. These politicians have no idea of the real world for a lot of people, and they don't care. Mayor Doug McCallum now gets $156,800 a year. <laughs> Councillors, eighty grand, up from just over 78000 Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Battle lines are being drawn between B.C.'s housing minister and Penticton's mayor over the closure of an emergency shelter. David Eby is blasting Penticton City Council for shooting down B.C. Housing's application to extend a permit for an emergency shelter. Eby claims that with 42 shelter residents now displaced, a homeless encampment will become inevitable. And while he wants to avoid another tent city... If the province is unable to keep the shelter operating, it will ensure that a homeless encampment is well run. Penticton's mayor now firing back, calling the housing minister a bully. If we're not able to use our authorities, I've checked with BC Housing. They have a thousand tents and they have a thousand sleeping bags uh, stockpiled for emergencies. And, uh, and we'll have to be moving tents and sleeping bags to Penticton uh, to respond to this. That he's going to come into our community and establish an encampment. That's despicable. Uh, I don't believe that that's what his positioning is. And he's bullying uh, and trying to manipulate us to do his bidding. And I will not be uh, intimidated, nor will I be bullied to do what he wants. The existing permit for the shelter expires at the end of March. It will be forced to close as of April 1st. Still ahead, double surgeries that took an entire team. This low-risk pregnancy all of a sudden became very high risk. They're a happy, healthy family now. But wait till you see what it took to save mom and baby. And coming up later in sports, the puck stops here. How the Canucks need their goalies to get better.
very spring-like in some parts of the lower mainland. Well, mm. some parts of the province today. Mm. Absolutely. So uh, we're still well above seasonal in the interior regions today across the lower mainland, above seasonal as well. But it's more dramatic here where we're at a good six degrees above seasonal. Even as we head into the weekend and temperatures drop, we'll still be above seasonal. Now, for our region, we've had a couple of nice dry days. Tomorrow afternoon, though, we are going to see this front push in. So wet, windy conditions tomorrow afternoon and evening. Those of you in the interior, though, will enjoy one more nice dry day. So there's the rainfall along the north and central coast. We will see sunshine in double digits and through the interior regions once again. We will wake up to dry weather, but by the afternoon hours, we are expecting rainfall to push in and we will continue to see rain on and off for the next several days. So certainly a wet pattern. The next dry day isn't expected until Monday. And here's tonight's central windows weather window, which is gorgeous sunset shot from Gibson's. Thank you to Ed Hill for that one. Gorgeous. Thank you very much, Christy. All right, Squire is here now. What do you have for us? Well, let's, uh, let's bring everybody down and talk Canucks. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh-oh. Uh, one step forward, one step back. That is no way to make a rally for a playoff spot. Uh, we're, we've put ourselves in a spot where um, you know, we need every game. Well, they didn't get one last night. That loss to the Jets hangs heavy on both Braden Holtby. Well, actually, everyone wearing a Canuck uniform. No doubt. Also coming up, a major achievement in surgery. How it took a total team effort to make this family whole. There is no chance of a blackout by Squire tonight. I didn't have to run. No, you're uh, here we nice do and not, early. We do not want a cardio moment. We need to move your program. office closer to the studio. I really think it should be just over there on the red couch. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move my computer there. I'll be fine. Uh, there is no final word yet on whether the uh, BCHL can get a shortened season like the Western Hockey League will, but we have heard from sources that the owners of the BCHL teams will have a vote on Friday whether they want to continue pursuing the idea or not. We'll have to see. Uh, Braden Holtby has the exact same save percentage right now as Carey Price. Normally, that would be great news, but not this year. Price has been off his game so badly the Habs had to change goalie coaches. Vancouver's not going to do that, but they need more than an 893 save percentage from Braden Holtby. Thatcher Demko's 907, which is not bad, not as high as you would like, but obviously better than Holtby's. Now, Demko should get the bulk of the games, but in a short season, Vancouver needs Braden Holtby to be better. Now, the Canucks certainly weren't as sound defensively last night as they were Monday when they shut out the Jets with Demko in goal. But despite some rather loose play in front of Braden Holtby, he knows that he's got to be the guy at times to right the wrong. He did it many times for Washington. He's got to do it here, too. I, mean, I, I have to make those stops tonight. Um, that's about uh, as simple as it gets. Um, you know, back to back, a game we we felt like we uh, you know needed to win. The good thing for Braden Holtby is Travis Green felt the guys in front of him were the real issue last night. We, we lost way too many puck battles. I thought we were a little soft when we had the puck at times, and that was a difference in the game. That was the, it was a big difference. We tracked those things. Uh, from the night before and um, 
you know, for me, that was the major difference in the game. Well, they'll play the Leafs on Thursday. The Leafs are still in Edmonton, and they're loving it. I don't know what is going on with the Oilers. Against the Leafs, the Oilers are, I could say playing like Ottawa, but Ottawa's actually played a little better of late. That's Jimmy Vesey making it one nothing for the Leafs. Oh, Connor McDavid, stay on site. Oh! To a lesser man, that would have been a groin in the 53rd row, but he's okay. What is going on with the Oilers? D, VC again. That makes it uh, 2-0. And then Ilya Mikheyev. This would make it 4-0. Toronto is just kicking Edmonton all over the ice every night, 5-1 in the third period. The uh, Japanese Olympic Committee will decide before the end of this month whether they will allow any fans from outside Japan to attend the Tokyo Summer Olympics. But right now it looks like the answer is going to be no. In fact, there are some Japanese newspapers that say the government has already made a decision not to allow foreign spectators to come and watch the events live. They just haven't publicly announced it yet. The Olympics are supposed to start on July 23rd, and quite frankly, who knows if they'll be able to be taken place or take place. Uh, Norman Powell and the Raptors are very shorthanded tonight against Detroit because of COVID. They gave it a good effort, especially in the first quarter. They had the lead for a little while, and then Detroit had no trouble. That's Mason Plumlee. Nice little pass from Dennis Wright Jr. Wayne Ellington had uh, 25 points from outside the arc, and it was a pretty easy win for Detroit over the Raptors this evening. But as we said, the Raptors are struggling right now with a number of their players and coaching, members of the coaching staff, including Nick Nurse, not well with COVID. Makes it tough to win without enough players. All right, thanks, Squire. All right, let's check in with J.D. Rant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. J.D.? Thank you very much, Sophie. We'll have more tonight on the province's new crackdown on guns and gangs. It's designed to stop the deadly shootings in Metro Vancouver in recent months. We'll hear from a former police officer about what aspects he feels missed the mark. Plus, we'll have more than an incident at a Richmond mall that sent a man to hospital with serious injuries. Those stories coming up tonight at 11. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Jake. And when we come back, a packed operating room for a remarkable achievement in surgery that saved the family. That's next. I think there are still questions that need to be answered here. This was a high-risk, high-reward strategy. So we wanted to set the record straight. How do you grow as a human being if you're not going to open your ears and listen? Now, a remarkable story of life-saving double operations at Vancouver St. Paul's Hospital involving an army of healthcare specialists. A packed operating room full of doctors, nurses, and support staff, all with one task, complicated surgery that had never been done in BC before. Nadia Stewart has the story. Now happy at home with her six-month-old son, Jacqueline has a story to tell about how doctors here at St. Paul's saved her life and her babies too. 
I was just expecting my pregnancy to go like any other person, as smooth as possible. Last fall, when she was in her second trimester, things took a turn for the worse, when an infection in her aortic valve was discovered. I was just living a quite a normal life before then. Um, just hearing the, the words like we have to perform the surgery as, as soon as possible. It slowly came to re I realize how uh, dire the situation was. Suddenly, it was all hands on deck. You know, in the province, she was, you know, our first priority. Jenna Bomagartner is the complex care clinical nurse educator at St. Paul's Hospital. She had the near impossible task of assembling a team of 30 experts for a surgery where two lives were on the line. We had obstetricians, pediatricians, cardiac team, OR planning team. We had NICU involvement. Japlin's case presented a number of challenges. She was born with a bicuspid aortic valve. The valve pumps blood from the heart to the rest of the body, but has two leaflets or openings instead of the usual three. What happened at some point during her pregnancy is that she developed an infection of that heart valve. And so when your valve is structurally abnormal, it's like having a car that maybe the part is off a bit, but the car is functioning okay. You know, it predisposes people to um, to infection. In a historic first in the province, baby Jeevan was delivered via C-section, and a homograft was done to save mom. It's testament to the to the group of people. When she delivered, there were 30 people in the room, and it's it's unbelievable to see her with her six-month-old baby who's chubby and uh, you know happy and everything. And uh, that's that's what it's all about for sure. To say Jacqueline and her husband are grateful is an understatement. Baby Jeevan, whose name means bringer of life, has brought so much joy to this family and the team who helped keep mom and baby together. Nadia Stork, Global News. Takes a village. Sure does. Say. This cute little baby. Way to go, Jeevan. All right. Uh, Christy. It's a change coming. <laughs> That's right. All those of you with arthritis, are you starting to feel it? <laughs> uh, sunshine today. It was gorgeous and warm. We are going to stay mild over the next few days, but the change is the rainfall. Uh, so we will see rain by the afternoon hours. Windy conditions expected later in the day as well, and we'll see that into our Friday. And those of you in the interior, one more day of sunshine and mild conditions before you start to see some moisture push in. I do need a car wash, so. <laughs> this yeah. will help. <laughs> All right, thanks very much for watching, everyone. Have a great night.